Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, The Honey and Coke. My name is Itamar Srulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Fitzrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food. And we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice. And we sit down and have a longer chat. We cook from their books and from their culture. And this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight we're joined by the very elegant and very accomplished Reem Cassis who wrote the fabulous book, The Palestinian Table. We had a fantastic night. We had some delicious food cooked from this book. Please continue to listen if you want to know about Palestinian food, what it is and what it isn't, about how to write a proper book proposal, and about how many spices should actually be in the seven spice mix. We are charmed, I think is, is the only word I can use, to have Rim Cassis here. She has just public, published the most beautiful looking book that we were again charmed when we saw it and we we're, were so delighted that she managed to come and talk to us all the way from the US. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> making an effort, making an effort, yeah, mm. definitely. Uh, the book is called The Palestinian Table. It's a book, you know, what it says on the tin, it's about the food of uh, Palestine and the Palestinian people. I think even saying that, I don't know I think people have so many misconceptions or are not clear as to what exactly mm. even it is. Uh, we're not going to go into political <coughs> nitty-gritty. We're going to stay uh, all about the food and the culture of the food. So, Rim, you grew up in Jerusalem, yes. in Beit Hanina. Mm -hmm. um, and tell us a little bit you about your family background because it's quite a it's, quite it's kind an of a mix of yeah <laughs> so I grew up in Jerusalem but actually my parents are from very different parts of the country um, my father is from the north close to the Lebanese border and he's a Christian and my mother is from the triangle which is more in the central part of the country and she's a Muslim so on top of coming from very different geographical 
areas, they also had very different traditions, different holidays. So you can probably imagine how much food I had to eat over the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> and um, also I'm thinking like Christian holidays quite a lot Muslim holidays quite a lot so yeah we spend a lot so of the you year have like eating three days in the year that are not a holiday pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all the traditions that come with that mm-hmm. um, and I think in a way having this kind of background that is so rooted in, in Palestinian cuisine because you know we, we talk a lot about Middle Eastern food and that's you know it's so broad it's like saying European food right. or, or American food it's not really a thing <laughs> and now I think people in 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 this country and around around the world are starting to look deeper into the the more regional cultures right I think you know we know a little bit about or quite a lot about Lebanese food and and about Moroccan food and the Palestinian food is is such an amazing culture is such an incredible culture Well, the thing is, I mean, the entire region of the Levant was basically one area stretching back to the Ottoman Empire. So naturally, we share a lot of the same foods. But, you know, when states come up and borders go up, you start the nuances start to become more obvious. And food at the end of the day, it's a function of the landscape, of the geography, what grows where you live. And obviously, trade routes and wars and empires, they influence as well what you're eating. So I think it's fair to say that across the Middle East, we share a lot of the same dishes. But like you were saying, you know, Palestinian food has a lot of dishes that are very unique to it. Can I sit here and tell you this is exactly how it's different from Lebanese or Syrian? I can't, but I can definitely point to a lot of things that we eat that are not eaten or done that way anywhere else in the region. And, you know, that I think merited this book. So you can tell that there's probably a lot of these recipes in there that are quite different from yeah, other I mean, places. I mean, uh, uh, we'll talk later about the, the actual food, which is, it's, uh, of course, the most interesting part. Uh, you know, for the greedy ones among us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I shouldn't say that, should I? But uh, you you kind of started a different career path. Yes. You, you were so going I somewhere very different. Very different. Yeah, I left Jerusalem when I was 17, and I went to the U.S. to study business. And actually, before I left, I had heard someone once say to my father, oh, why do you even bother paying for such an expensive education? She's going to end up in the kitchen, like all Arab women do. Mm-hmm. And I was livid at the time, you know, very... How right I- he was, ironically. I- ironically, <laughs> but in a very different way, you yeah. know, out of choice, not circumstance, which makes it quite different. But, you know, I was young and I said, I will never, ever end up in the kitchen. So I did my undergrad in business. I went straight on to get an MBA. I worked in consulting. And eventually my husband and I met. We, well my now husband and I met and we decided to get married and we moved to London. I went on to get another master's in psychology to work some more. And I think at one point I was even considering other career options and my daughter was born. And I think at that point, a part of me, I was telling you before panicked, I thought the funny thing is when you grow up with this in a certain way, you don't think of it, you just take it for granted. And I didn't realize how special the Palestinian way of growing up, this attachment to culture, to food, is until I actually left home. And when I realized my daughter was going to grow up outside of that setting, I felt I really wanted to give her a sense of my childhood, of my upbringing. And when I left, like I said, I was 17 and I'd felt homesick in the U.S. I would constantly call my mother and call my grandmothers and say, you know, can you give me this recipe and that recipe? Please call your neighbor and get me the other recipe I tasted once. And I'd collected all of them, and at one point I thought, okay, let me just get these recipes and anecdotes together for my daughter and later on my second daughter. 
I never really thought to do a cookbook with it. Um, actually, you know, based on the way my kids eat, I don't even know if I know how to cook. But <laughs> um, but just, just to be clear, you like all the time through school and, you know, all I was your, cooking. All the time you were cooking and you were cooking that traditional food. I was. And I was, you know, inviting friends and I built a lot of very good friendships over food. But again, there was that part of me that said, I will not end up in the kitchen. Um, but then I looked at what I had. I looked at these stories. I looked at these recipes and I thought, okay, they are the stories of my family and my family's recipes. But in a way, they come together to tell the story of every Palestinian family. It's this collective narrative that's very different from the one we're used to hearing about Palestinians. You know, you think Palestinian, you think conflict. And... There's more to us than just that, not to take away from the importance of it, but it's a different story that I think when people get to know, you start to understand a more holistic <coughs> picture of it. And so at that point, the idea for this book kind of came into my head. Um, and given that my background was in business, I was just telling Itamar, and he looked at me like, really? I wrote a 100-page proposal for the book. Um, this, is, this is interesting <laughs> because, you know, a book proposal would be a paragraph, maybe, or two. And... This is, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, suddenly I encounter people that want to, you know, they have this idea and they want to do a cookbook, how to get it off the ground. I would never think of saying to someone, well, it needs to be 100 pages. I mean, I don't know. That's I showed it to the person who's now my agent. He goes, do you really need 100 pages of market analysis on a cookbook? But... You know, Did you I, actually do market analysis for the... It was a very McKinsey business-like proposal, <laughs> but Ellie there would know. <laughs> but there was food in it, of course, as well, and recipes and pictures. And, you know, I think it was a labor of love, and that probably came across in the proposal. Um, and from there, it's, you know, lots of different small steps. I would at, go into bookstores and look through the acknowledgement sections and see who the agents were and who the publishers are. And bear in mind, I'm not from this world. I have no idea, you know, about agents and publishers and what it takes to do a cookbook. But, you know, I got very lucky. There were, you know, an agent and a very wonderful commissioning editor who believed in me, took a risk against the odds. And Well, I don't, I don't think if someone comes to you with, with a business analysis, you know, with a market <laughs> analysis, you, you know you're fine. Well, I mean, the business part's fine. You want to make sure the food is good, but you guys will tell us that once mm -hmm. we're done talking. So, yeah. I, I think that's, that's very, very impressive. You know, very impressive. Thank and you. then, you know, the, the book sort of, came to life. How, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the, the process of how, where, where did you, how did you write it? What did you shoot so it? How did you call down recipes? What was I ha a lot of these recipes were things that I'd grown up eating, so they were very familiar to me. It wasn't a research-based book where I had to go and look for the recipes, but I definitely had to get exact measurements, which if you've ever tried to cook with a Palestinian mother or grandmother, you know is not an easy thing to do. So I would call my mother and say, I need the exact measurements for this recipe. And she'd say, measurements don't work. You have to cook by sight. You have to cook by smell. And I would explain, it's a cookbook. I cannot tell people, you know, knead it until it's soft like your earlobe or <laughs> until the bottom of the pot sizzles. It doesn't work that way. So we would get together, and a lot of times I would basically measure. She would take out with her hand. I'd measure what was left. And, you know, it was a process of working together on it in that way. Was she cooperative or was she resistant? She was, no, I think towards the end she was very cooperative. She now, you know, until the book came out, there was a period where I'd submitted everything, but we were waiting for it to be published, and she would call and say, can you send me that recipe that, you know, I sent you last week? about?" And it's actually very nice to have, if not, you know, even if you don't follow it to a T, at least a framework of how to follow these recipes. And, you know, especially for someone like me or like her who's been cooking this food for years, it's 
you instinctively cook these dishes, but it's nice to kind of have something to follow to. Yeah, based we, upon. because I mean, we don't we don't think about it because you know <coughs> now say we want to cook Chinese, we reach out for a cookbook, mm-hmm. or we reach out that, but. You know, for for the longest time, it was oral tradition. It was yeah. passing on. You need to be in contact with someone in order right. to learn something, or you need to see it. You know, I grew up seeing a lot of these dishes, so for me, it was. I would put it together. It was easy, but I would have to tweak it again to make sure it came out with the same exact flavors of what I remember as a child. And you measure and you try, and you know, after testing and retesting multiple times, you eventually settle on the one thing that tastes the way you remember. But again, I think. Palestinian food in general is quite forgiving. Um, you can cook the recipe, you know, you can follow the recipe to exactly the way it's written, but you can also adjust. If there's a particular spice you don't like, you can take it out. I personally love things very sour. My husband can't eat the salads that I make because he thinks they're just absolutely soaked in lemon. But, you know, it's there is a room in the food that we cook for personal preference. I think it's more following the spirit of these recipes and using good ingredients that really make them what they are but I, I was really interested in, in what you said that it that it does it does that it, when you were cooking it it has to be like you remembered yes and that is so key because again there is flex in the recipe and of course you know it doesn't need to have two tablespoons <laughs> or you know instead exactly. of three or something yeah. like that but there is something that's very very personal and very quite unique in saying no, I want to recreate because food is more than exactly. just food. You know, it, it's memories. It's there are dishes in this book that to me just remind me of my family. They're the dish that my mother makes every time I go home, or what my grandmother would have for the holidays. And eating them, it often takes me back to those places wherever I am in the world. And actually, one of the first times that I realized just how powerful food was was when I first moved to the U.S. And my mother had insisted that I pack some olive oil and zaatar with me, which I initially thought she was crazy for asking me to do that. But a few weeks in, when I felt really homesick and I just, you know, would smell the zaatar or taste the olive oil, and I would feel back at home again in a way. And I think that was kind of when I started to realize food is quite powerful. It's not just flavors. It's memories. It's emotions. It's connections. It's a way to build connections with other people. And... I hope at least I managed to do that in part with this book, just to build a bridge to other people to understand what the Palestinian table is really all about. When you see these recipes go into people's homes mm-hmm. and, you know, are taking kind of their own variation, we, we always tell the story about my mother-in-law. She said, I cooked your recipe, but I used hazelnuts instead of walnuts <laughs> and figs instead of that. <laughs> You're like, it's not really my recipe. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't cook my recipe. You cooked your own recipe. Yeah. But... When, when it's something so personal and so kind of close to home, mm-hmm. what, how does it make you feel? I mean, for me, I'm just happy to know that people have access to our real food. I was frustrated for a while when I felt our food is so good, but for a lot of people, they're not really getting access to what mothers and grandmothers cook at home. They're getting access to what you eat in restaurants, which yeah. is quite different. So for me, I'm just happy to know that people have access or the ability to cook these recipes because they know what they're like. With that say, there's room for creativity. So I'm, you know, I'm fine with people changing things up. They're not, they don't associate these foods as much with the memories as I do. As long as they enjoy them, I'm, as long as the recipe works, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. good. A little bit more about the process. You shot it all in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, yes. So we actually shot it all at my parents' house using props that belonged to my grandmother. 
um, copper platters and plates and we tried to keep it as authentic as possible so we did it over two weeks in Christmas so the photographer would get there at seven in the morning by three the sun was setting and without natural light you I didn't realize this but you can't photograph food without natural light apparently and it's a very intense process but it really you can but it's not going to come out it's not going to look like that (laughs) so yeah it was a very intense process but it was very nice so you know we worked obviously me and my mother cooked side by side and it was very uh, one of the highlights of the entire process of doing this book and in terms of you know you say your mother but obviously there's you know a lot of family members kind of of got involved Were they, like, eyebrows raised about? I don't think anyone really realized what I was doing until the book came out. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, why is she calling us asking for recipes all the time? Like, what's going on? And okay, she wants to do this cookbook thing. But no one realized exactly what it was and just what it was doing for Palestinian food and culture until they actually (laughs) held it in their hands and saw... Oh my God! This is our history. This is our family. How was the How was their reaction when they saw? Uh, the extremely positive. I mean, more than I could have imagined. It's It's nice to see your family, kind of, immortalized in something. To know that my kids and their kids will always be able to look back on what I ate and what my grandparents and their grandparents ate. Because we all know food changes and we travel and. It's hard to hold on to a lot of the things that define our cultures. And with globalization, so many influences come in. And I think it's nice at least to get the snapshot of history that we can preserve for generations to come. So it's been overwhelmingly positive, I would say. And, and the reactions at large? At large, it's been very public. good. If there's one thing that I've noticed actually is, and surprisingly, is that it's brought a lot of people... It's opened up a lot of doors. It's opened up a lot of lines of communication that I would not have expected before. I mean, obviously, as you know, um, Itamar is Israeli and Palestinian, and generally you don't expect Israelis and Palestinians maybe to do this kind of thing together. But I think over food is where you really have the best conversations. And for me, the fact that this book has been opening up these doors and overwhelmingly bringing these positive responses, I think that in and of itself is something that I'm very personally happy about. It comes across in the book that this is very personal. It's very much about my family and my family's recipes. And I think when you do, when you love something so much, it comes across in the pages. This wasn't a business for me. This wasn't, you know, a career that I'd been working on. It was just a labor of love. And I think that mm-hmm. comes across. And also the recipes are quite different. They're not your run-of-the-mill Middle Eastern recipes. You know, yes, there is a recipe for hummus in the book, but probably not the highlight of it. So <laughs> um, I, I think that part has helped it get some traction yeah funny you you mentioned uh hummus mm. and uh, kind of the staple i was you know i read this book again like really back to back and you know normally you just kind of skim through the ingredients and you say oh yeah i get the picture yeah and i but i was so intrigued because this is really stuff that we cook here in this restaurant day mm. in day out you know the Baba Ganoush, for example, that you're going to try, we do, you know, 10 boxes a day of aubergines. Mm. And we can just look at it and say, oh, there's not enough tahini or there's not yeah. enough garlic. We, we know it. And then you come up with your kind of, your family way of doing it that's completely different. And the funny thing is, my different. mother didn't even want me to put this recipe in the book. She goes, Reem, the aubergines are fried. People don't want to eat fried foods anymore. Like, leave it out. But... I love it. And it's such a good dish that I was like, no, I'm going to put it in the book. And actually, it's a dish that I don't know how traditional it is, but there's a very typical Palestinian dish called maklube, which is rice flipped over that's cooked with fried aubergines or fried um, cauliflower. 
So whenever my mother, my grandmother would make it, she'd have plenty of fried aubergines left over. So she would make a baba ghanoush with it. And it's just, it's a treat. I wouldn't make it every week. Um, but it's very, very good. And it tastes completely different from the char-grilled one. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's a completely different thing. And really, this is one of those things that you'd say... Uh, how many more aubergine dips you can right? have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's only one, one I can have, fantastic. it would be that one, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, I was... Ca- you really kind taste of, the aubergines. I'm, you really it's, taste yeah. it. You really do. And this is kind of the one thing that... I, w- the first thing that I was reading, I said, we I have to, to try it's it. It's funny, I've got so many people who want to try like. it. Yeah, and it's it works. So I'm glad I put it in there. Yeah, no, it's... And, and again, I love seeing the... You know, something so personal, just like, you know, my grandmother had this, we used to make it, it's a very personal recipe, but mm-hmm. it's also speaks of something so much, you know, of, su- of such a culture, you know, speaks of the entire culture and, and the little variations are what makes it so interesting. And I think that's kind of, if you, l- I mean, you, you look at Palestinian food, there are differences from neighborhood to neighborhood, from village to village, and you see that across the Middle East, and I think, you know, you can write 50 cookbooks about any particular cuisine and you will never cover it. But it's nice to kind of get just a taste of what people eat at home because you don't always get that. And I guess this recipe is a very typical what you would eat at home. And and delicious. (laughs) Uh, Another thing that I that kind of really sprang to my mind is the the two recipes for the mluchia. What's it called in English? Uh, jute mallow. Yeah, I read that in English and I was like, what is this? Yeah, I did, that was one recipe. I had to do a bit of research to figure out the English Th- does name Does everyone <laughs> know what it is, the jute mallow? It looks very similar to spinach. You, um, it grows, it's native to the Levant in Egypt, uh, but tastes completely different. You can actually find it dried in most Middle Eastern grocers or frozen. Um, but it's. we were talking about this. We cook it in two very separate ways at home because my mother's family cook it more the Egyptian way, the way you're used to, which is like a soup, a thick soup. Uh, whereas my father's family cook the leaves with whole garlic cloves. And it's, you know, the same ingredient cooked in two different ways. And the flavor is actually completely different. I mean, I can't picture spinach tasting completely different if cooked in different ways, but this one really does, which is... Yeah, it's really it's a very strange. It's a very... The, the leaf itself has a kind of... Uh, it has a very mucusy consistency yeah. when you cook it. Um, kids hate it, usually. Well, I my kids hate everything I cook, so I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're two and four, so I hope they'll grow into it at some I point. Wonder. But, yeah. So, it's I, I just knew it as, as Egyptian food. My family are from Egypt, and, you know, my... my and it's big in Egypt. Yes, like it's the very big. It is, dish. yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even. I never knew that it's you know well, a, a part of Palestinian cuisine. It was so interesting for me. To well, find Gaza that out. borders on Egypt, so yeah. naturally there are influences. You know, if you go to the north of the country, you get a lot of influences from Lebanon and Syria. Um, in the south, you get a lot of influences from Egypt. So, nuchi is one of those dishes, but also du'a, which is similar to zaatar, yeah. is heavily influenced from Egyptian cuisine. There's a few Gazan recipes in the book, which, again, much of that influence comes from Gaza. And, and this is, again, a, a very specific kitchen. Region, very yes. kind of... And I kind of had access to it, even though I rarely went to Gaza, because one of my mother's best friends and upstairs neighbor is from Gaza. So she would often come over, and my mother would be cooking one thing, and she would make another thing and say, yeah, this is what we make in Gaza. So there are a few recipes that have made it into the book from that region. Yeah, and this is, you know, for me as an Israeli, is really interesting because I would not have access to it. To these recipes, yeah. To these recipes. Hold up. 
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And uh, other highlights from the from the cookbook. Do you have what's your kind of the ones closest to your heart? So I was mentioning the dish that my mother always makes when I go home, and that's the rice stuffed chicken. One of the harder dishes to make. Um, not the first one to try if you've never cooked Palestinian food. But for me, this is the one that really speaks of home. Um, it's you know every time I go back, it's the first dish my mother makes. But then also there's the fried eggs with za'atar, which is what my father makes me for breakfast when I go back. That one's an easier one to try. Um, but to me, obviously, every one of these dishes has an emotional significance. But I think those two are really my mother, my father. And that's what I, the first dish I think of when I think of them. So all you do is just like every time you go back, it's just I just sit and I'm like, feed me, feed me. (laughs) I mean, my parents are here. Actually, we're spending the week with them, and my mother brought a suitcase of food with her again. Um, So I don't know. She maybe thinks there's no food here. What was in the suitcase? Oh oh God, it's embarrassing. But she even brought her own flour because she insisted it's better than what she could buy here and everything. She had pastries and manaish and cookies, like similar to these and dry stuff that you can actually get through customs but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is actually it. something that you know we you know and I think maybe every immigrant is the produce so different it is different and uh, one of the salads in the book the tomato garlic salad I mentioned my mother uses a very specific type of tomato we call it beladi tomato which simply means it's grown in season so it's very fleshy not much seed and water here it's often not easy you know the supermarket variety is not what you eat at home so you try to 
you know, you switch out where you can. I would often use cherry tomatoes instead. Um, sometimes if the tomatoes are not good for um, the chopped salad, I would use red peppers. So it's just a matter of switching up and using the best ingredients you can find. Because especially in dishes that have very few ingredients, the flavors do tend to shine. Well, ju- just to calm everyone's mind. Those tomatoes are great. We, we <laughs> use the Italian Camone tomatoes, which are beautiful They're and actually very, very close to, to the Baladi tomatoes. Mm-hmm. We get uh, uh, back in Israel slash Palestine. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, does anyone have any questions for Reem? I was just going to say, I have a difficulty in thinking of Palestine, because having been there, it just seems like it's a place that's shrinking, shrinking. And how would you define Palestine? Well, for me, I mean, actually, growing up, you don't think of your food as Palestine or Palestinian. You start to see it that way when you leave the country. You know, when you grow up, there's the food I eat at home, and there's the food I eat at my grandparents' house, and it's delicious. But then you leave your country, and you realize all of a sudden you start seeing your food and your culture. I didn't even think, like, am I Palestinian? What am I? I am what I am. And then you go abroad, and suddenly people ask you, where are you from? And what is the food? And that's when you start to think of it. Um, in terms of politically what's happening, it's, it's a mess there, and I think we all know that. But I hope that at least over food, and this is why the book is very much not political, it can help tell a story of the people more so than anything else yeah but in 20 years we'll be one nation <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure 100 uh, percent. i think no? that's a good idea yeah about 15 minutes <laughs> uh any more questions kind of practical question yeah. i haven't had the opportunity to delve into the book yet but how easy is it to get the ingredients because you talk about accessibility so so a lot of the ingredients um, are very standard um and also a lot of the recipes are very easy and there's actually one chapter which um, was a very smart editorial decision of putting all the difficult recipes together yeah. so it's called celebration recipes which is key for it takes a long time to make them (laughs) 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 but the ingredients are easy to come by especially in London Um, but again there aren't that many obscure ingredients a lot of it is just how you use them and mix them you know like this nine spice mix every single individual spice in it is you can find it in weight rows it's just the matter of how you're combining them and you can buy good spice mixes anywhere Anywhere, yeah. yeah and I mean you go to Edgware Road and you'll find everything that you need yeah and here by the way you mean what, like produce is produced there? There's a wide range of things. I mean, we grow tomatoes and cucumbers, figs and olives are obviously what you think of when you think of the country, cactus pears. Um, but I think like most of the Middle East, it's you, know, you get citrus, you get olives, you get figs. And obviously nowadays people grow everything in greenhouses, but yeah. it's, you know, the basics that you think of when you think of the Middle East. Yeah, or, or all the Mediterranean. All the Mediterranean, actually. really, in general. It's the warm climate, so... You can pretty much grow a lot of different things yeah. without any issues. There. The only thing maybe is we don't have huge meat production. Most of the meat production is goat and sheep, yeah. not cow. Yeah. So again, not a lot of our goats, our meat. Obviously, we have things that are native, like um, the za'atar plant. So people think za'atar, they think of the condiment, but actually it's the name of the plant that goes into it, which is quite similar to oregano, but much less sharp. Yeah. Um, there is another plant called Jundelia, which is basically a very prickly cactus that you take the thorns off of and eat. Um, you know, there is like chicory, which is bitter. You forage for it between the olive trees. But again, there's substitutes for these things here. Yeah. Can I ask a question about spices? So, mm-hmm. well, I don't live in Beirut, so yes. I buy some seven, seven spice. spice. Yes. 
completely blue than you. That wasn't even easy to get hot anyway. And I've been other places where I get five spies. Right. Now you've just said nine spies. So, so <laughs> is it, it's <laughs> confusing. Does this just so it's seven plus nine minus twelve. So five spice, most of what I've come across is a Chinese five spice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lebanese use seven spice mix. This spice mix, I say in the book, it's not really, I wouldn't call it a Palestinian spice blend. It's basically what my mother makes. It's very similar to the seven spice mix with the addition, I think, of cumin and mace, which they don't. But again, even in Lebanon, you also have different proportions and different variations. But the biggest ingredient in any of these spices is pimento. And that's what gives it the most, allspice berries. So that's what gives it the most uh, Lebanese slash Palestinian slash Middle Eastern flavor. And the other items in it, I mean, they're discretionary, but they obviously, you know, if you want the exact same flavor profile I'm going for it, they would be in it. But it is, exactly. And I mean, if you have seven spice, if you have Moroccan baharat, go ahead and cook the dish. The flavor profile will be slightly different, but it's not going to ruin it. Don't use Chinese five spice mix. No. But <laughs> <laughs> that will be completely different, yeah. But the other ones will be fine. Can I just ask yeah. about the spices? You know you were just saying about satire, that it's yes. actually a plant, isn't it? Yes. Not. But can, is it possible to buy it here without the sesame? Because so many people have allergies well, with sesame. So you can make it at home, and there's a recipe in the book for how to make it. And basically, if you buy the plant and you dry it, all you have to do is grind it at home with the salt and sumac, and you have it without the sesame seeds. Yeah. But it Although my favorite part of the zaatat is the sesame seeds. Yeah, but again, yeah. with allergies, is yeah. It's not. It's not inherently different than oregano. No, I actually oregano. like for the zaatar yeah. salad here. I the use fresh oregano. one. The fresh zaatar is very exactly because people often say one. thyme, but I find oregano to be much yeah. much closer in flavor to the at least the zaatar that grows, you know, in our part of the you know Lebanese zaatar is quite different actually from Palestinian yeah, zaatar. Kind of it's like longer. Yeah. It's slightly different. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask you about how long it actually took you to do to do your book. So I, I would say mine is not really an example because a lot of the recipes were already there. It didn't involve a lot of research. I think I signed the publishing deal in April, submitted everything by November, and it was out by the following October. So a year and a half in total, which is quite short for a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's very efficient. All you, all you need is uh, 13 <laughs> business degrees, and the, <laughs> and the cookery book just takes 18 months. Yeah, <laughs> and a 100-page proposal. <laughs> exactly. No, I think you need a wonderful editor and publisher, and then... You're good to go, but yeah. What yeah. ingredient wouldn't you be without? I mean, if I'm cooking like proper food, probably that nine spice mix if it counts as an ingredient. Um, but if you're talking about just a single item, I think aubergines. It's uh, yeah, I cook them in everything. I absolutely love them. Yeah. <laughs> and tomatoes. Oh god, this list is getting much longer now. Yeah, no, so it's a very it's always one. hard when it's yeah just one. Yeah, you went yeah. for <laughs> aubergines. We're gonna we're gonna take up. We could take you up on that. Yes. About you know moving countries and taking part of your history, your family history with you, yeah. and you mentioned you have a daughter. So Two now, yeah. If you could only choose two recipes to give to her as her legacy, of <sighs> that's what hard. Might they be? Well, I mean, one. well, this is—it's <laughs> hard and it's easy because, like I said, she doesn't eat much. But I would definitely say my the pita bread or the taboon bread because the, that's one of the very few things she does eat. And probably something very quintessentially Palestinian, like msakhan, which is the tabun bread with onions and chicken on top, maybe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't need it quite yet, but I'm getting there, working on it. <laughs>
moving away from the book slightly, just to pick your brain a slightly different way, where do you like to eat when you're in London? So actually, I have an obsession with Indian food. So whenever I'm here, I eat Indian food, and my I've already had it two times, and I'm having it again this week. And my parents are like, "What's going on? You, I, I love Indian food, so I eat. I mean, I can list off the names, but if it's Indian, I'm happy. Please do, yeah. Oh, really? So Vera yeah. Swami's where I always go. Mm-hmm. Um, when I used to live here, I used to go to this hole in the wall South Indian place in Tooting, which my husband's mm-hmm. like, "Why are you going all the way there to eat dosas?" But I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying Indian accent, I think, mm-hmm. this week, and. Where else have I... Where was the other place I went to this week? Trishna. Trishna, I've tried many times as well. I think I've tried every single Indian place in this city, but yeah. Yeah, this is really good Indian food. Yeah, and I miss it because in the U.S. you don't really... At least in Philadelphia, where I am right now, you don't get any good Indian food. So I try to make up <laughs> when I come here. <laughs> when you're not sitting in front of us, I was like, gosh, have we got the courage to try and cook something? Is there somewhere in London that is... I would just go to Edgware Road or Upper Berkeley Street. There's a yeah. supermarket called Green Valley, and you can get anything Middle Eastern that you want. Their produce, grocery, anything. So and actually, their deli is really good. Yeah, like yeah. you get you the can get just ready-made and food the yeah. ready-made food, which is such nice quality, more than you think of supermarket food. Yeah, it's quite good. Really nice. Green Valley. I actually struggle in the U.S. to get the same ingredients that I get here. Really? Yeah. Is it London is such a market London town is very cosmopolitan. You have, peop- you have enough demand here to justify having these places. I think the demand in Philadelphia is just not as great yet. Yet, but now this book is going to revolutionize Fingers crossed. Yeah, I really miss those small zucchinis. So. Yeah, I know, and the little okra. It, yeah. Uh, this book is going to revolutionize the American shopping experience. And it's oh, you're too kind. I hope you're right. Zata <laughs> and uh, everything nominated for a James Beard Award, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Fingers crossed. And she will win because this book is just, you just need to flick through it to see how much love and how much so. beauty it just shines out of the pages. Thank you. Um, we're going to feed you guys. Uh, we've made the uh, chopped salad with tahini, which we just need to mix up before we serve. And we made the famous baba ganoush that we've uh, talked about at length. We made these biscuits that are called... We call it macarona, but macarona. I think that's just a riff on a Greek word for it. Yeah. Um, it's aniseed uh, and sesame. We, we didn't have the aniseed, so we used fennel seed. It tastes quite okay. similar, yeah. yeah. And we made the the our, our pride and joy is these kibbe pies, which we this <laughs> is the second time that we make them from this book. We sell them here at the oh deli yeah, for lunch. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We sold it f- here really? in the deli. I made three oh, big so ones. Happy. They were gone like this. No they, were, they flew out. That's so good. Yeah, they. Were, I mean, in a way, it's a shame because we wanted to eat that. <laughs> <So> <laughs> make sure you get a piece. <laughs> yeah, no. There's plenty. There's plenty to go around. I hope even for me. Maybe. Mark, can we just, I just ask you a question. Yes, my when dear. When you were growing up, what did you think Palestinian food was as an Israeli? Do you know, I, there's a, I, I, this food, you know, it's really, it's a really tricky area, but this food is as much part of me, you don't think about it. Right. You know, it's as much part of your life as, as, I don't know. We were just saying this downstairs, like this whole Israeli-Palestinian food thing, it plays out abroad. It doesn't play out at home. No. And you wouldn't, you know, this, 
this salad that, that you chop, you, there's no meal without it. Yeah. There isn't. You wouldn't sit down to a table without, you know, cucumbers and tomatoes chopped like this exactly. And so no? many cultures have it. I mean, in Iran, you have the Shirazi salad, and in yeah. India, the kachamber, and it's... You grow up eating it, you don't think of it as, is this Palestinian? Is it, we don't even call it Palestinian salad. We call it farmer's salad. I think you we guys call it, it Arab, Arab salad. salad. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> so it's... But it's so, it's so much a, a part of, of your day-to-day life that you really... You until, don't stop until to I think moved here, exactly. I, I, I didn't even pause for a second to think, is this, do I have a right for this? Or, or is this part of my... It, it didn't even cross my mind. And it shouldn't, in a way, because really it's it's two nations that are so close and are so similar. There's so many we similarities. We share all the same. I mean, in the Levant, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Jordan, you eat all the same foods. We yeah. all eat the salad. We all eat hummus. We don't fight over it. You hear of these issues with Israelis and Palestinians because food can sometimes become a proxy for the political landscape more than anything. I don't think people are fighting over the food. I think people are yeah. using the food to express the problems land. they're having with politics. But it should so. be the opposite, maybe. Yeah, I think if maybe politics did what we do, maybe if they ate better food. 15 <laughs> years, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, max. Yeah. It's an amazing book that will really bring You're so much kind. joy into Thank your you. homes. And please join me in giving a big hand to the Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Honey and Coke. We hope you enjoyed it, even if you didn't get to try the food. I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. That'll be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Khan, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at honeyandco. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.